In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Kurt Elster about uncovering hidden profits in your e-commerce business. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 27. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Kurt Elster. Kurt is a Shopify expert who helps Shopify store owners uncover hidden profits in their businesses. I know Kurt has a lot of interesting insights on ways to grow e-commerce businesses, so I wanted to bring him on the show today and chat a bit more about it. So, hey, Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Good to, uh, good to finally meet you via video. So want to kind of dig in. I know you had some ideas on growing not just Shopify stores, but e-commerce stores in general, um, some different things folks can do to kind of optimize and help to take you know wherever they are today and grow to the next level. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I exclusively work on Shopify. I niched down to Shopify years ago and having that laser focus has been really a, a rocket ship ride for us. You know, certainly we, we hitched our cart to the right horse, but having that, that crispy laser focus positioning where people just go, Oh, you can now like they just tie it together in their brain and go, Oh, you're the Shopify guy. Yep. And I say, that would be like my first tip is man, focus on your positioning, work on your positioning statement, figure out, take your positioning from soggy to crispy. And here's the litmus test. How long does it take you to explain your business? Can you in 10 words or less explain it? Can you 10 seconds or less explain it? Can you give me just the briefest synopsis in three to five words as a tagline? Oh, and now we can make that a conversion rate optimization tactic. If you can explain it to me in three to five words as a tagline, put that right under your logo. We know people read in an F pattern. We know everybody who lands on your website is going to see the logo. It's on every page. It's going to be in that upper left corner. First thing they're going to see to orient themselves. And if you've got that crisp three to five words up there, that's going to help tell them, hey, you're in the right place. Like, you know, you you know, maybe you have some pithy brand name. Maybe you have a stupid brand name like mine. EtherCycle doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but the domain name was available, damn it. Yep. Um, and we have fun with it. But that's where you need to work on. Imagine a lot of people are in that boat. They don't have, you know, the, a keyword in their name, an exact match domain name. And that's yeah. where having that quick tagline works so well. well we're so that's like that, not We're called spark shipping. Technical and, at all. and every day we get a phone call, someone asking uh, how much does it cost to actually ship something? And then we have to explain, no, we're actually a software company. So... Yeah, the name is definitely one of those things that, you know, if, as long as you have the tagline, though, that helps. Because um, I've talked to folks before that you say, you know, what do you do? And they start explaining this, like, story. And, oh, we're like this, but we kind of do that. But we have more of this spin. And you and then you start, like, you know, after, like, 30 to 60 seconds, you start kind of wandering down and kind of losing the, you know, okay, I can't remember what we started talking about. Uh, so I like that, yeah, that quick little tagline of basically we do, you know, this is what we do. Um, and that Yeah, I'll totally give you helps. the... Um... Then that, like, I always encourage people start with that because that becomes like when you know that messaging, that becomes the cornerstone of all of your marketing. So, it, I mean, if you have to like you, your example, you're like people start telling you their life story. If you have to explain something like that, how are people going to remember you? How are they going to be able to give word of mouth referrals? They can't. They're not going to sit down and tell your long winded story. Right. You need to be able to just get in there and give it. Crispy, 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 crispy. If you have to do, what's the opposite of crispy? Soggy. soggy. <laughs> if you're explaining forever, that's soggy positioning. Yeah. Guess what? Nothing soggy is good. Um, and this was really like illustrated, burned into my head when 
um, I had a friend who hired a really like a high profile business coach. They get on their first phone call and he says, tell me what you do. And my friend starts explaining and he goes, too long. Call me back when you can explain it in 10 seconds or less. <laughs> Click. Yeah. And I've coached you know, freelancers and business owners. Oftentimes, this is a scary proposition for them. They feel like, oh, man, like I'm going to pigeonhole myself. I've got to define my life's work in this like one simple statement. And twice I have seen people reduced to tears by this. It is way harder than it sounds. It's harder and it takes um, practice. And it's very counterintuitive because, you know, starting yes. off, you think you want to be, you know, I want to be the guy that does X for everybody and you want to, you know, cast a wide net. And that's kind of what you, but as you kind of, you know, practice, you realize, no, 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 this really is like a, I have to do X for Y. This is who we work with. Um, and if you're not that, and then it makes it easy for people to kind of self-identify and understand, oh, no, no, I want this. I better go to that person. Um, I'm looking for a Shopify expert. You know, there's Kurt. So you start to, it allows people to actually identify themselves as a user or a prospect. Um, and you don't have to really yes. like talk them into it. Yeah, no, you totally get it. Um, yeah, having, when you're you're a generalist, you cast that wide net, it's like, oh yeah, well, we'll get everybody then. It's not gonna work. You need to be you know, that, that leader in that one space so that it is easy to remember, so that it's easy to make referrals, so that you look like an expert, and so that you gain that expertise. And I know like people are like, oh, I don't wanna be pigeonholed, I'll get bored. No, that is a tremendous hubris to think that, that the industry is gonna stop while you catch up and learn everything. It's evolving the whole time. You will never know everything about your space. And that's a good thing that will keep you interested and motivated. Um, yeah, I quick love that. Uh, exercise right. to start with positioning to get you to get you going. Um, the the formula I recommend is say we help X, so we help target market uh, achieve outcome benefit whatever it is, and there you go. Like there you have now in one sentence, you've defined who you help, who your target market is, how you help them, what they're going to get out of giving you money, right? And then if you want to take it a step further, figure out your competitive advantage. You say, unlike others, you know, unlike our competitors or unlike others, we, and then your competitive advantage. And if you, that's hard enough, but if you could figure that out, ah, now you've got a one sentence headline that explains what you do. Now you can explain yourself concisely in 10 seconds. And when you write it, it's probably going to be too long. Chop it down, chop it down, copy edit the hell out of that thing. And then from there, okay, now you're ready. Now you could try and figure out that three to five word tagline to use in your logo. Yeah, I like that a lot. And definitely I've met, you know, folks who are inside with e-commerce that you ask, you know, you know, what kind of, what do you sell? What market? And they said, explain to you how they're like a general store. And we sell, you know, like some shoes, dog food and, you know, outdoors products. And you say, oh, that sounds like a weird, you know, combination. And really, like, you're not appealing to any of those groups, and it's kind of just, I saw a little of everything, um, which no one, and you're not really right for anyone. You're not, like, the perfect fit for, you know, I want to buy this very specific product. I'm going to go to the store, um, that sort of thing. And it's also nice to have that when you meet, you know, people at actual live events and in person. It's very easy to give that short little, you know, hit. Like you said, I do X for Y. Very quickly, people, oh, okay, I get it. Um, you know, instead of having to give a long-winded explanation of what you do. Absolutely, yeah. It's like it, it'll help you, it'll help your customers understand where you're at. But, all right, here's, here's the crazy part. When you're writing this, you are probably making it up. You assume who your customers are, and you assume what it is that they get out of a relationship with you. 
and you assume how they perceive your competitive advantage. But how do you know? You Unless you've asked, unless you've surveyed them, you really have no idea. It's a best guess. So uh, I would imagine we got a lot of listeners here who are on Amazon. You have a treasure trove of data there. Go through, find what's your best selling product. All right, that's the one you should be focused on. Start going through the reviews. Look for commonalities, common uh, keyword phrases, common language. You've got this whole chunk of data where people are telling you exactly, like people who bought the product are telling you exactly why, what their experience was like, and how they talk about it. How they talk about it in the review is going to be how other customers search for it. So if you can lift um, your tagline out of those reviews, man, that's really going to supercharge your business. So and you know you could regularly do it, like once a quarter, say, man, let's go back through those reviews, see what this is like. Some of the the biggest gains in conversion rate optimization we found have never been from like, oh, we moved a button, and there's a few of those, but. You know, that's that is what people think of. It's like, oh, I got the right button color. That's the easy, sexy stuff. No, the real value in work comes from being able to explain your damn products easily. Yeah. We read, right? The the web is 90% typography. So focusing on copy and using um, using your own customer's language and how they talk about your stuff, really much more impactful and important than how you talk about your stuff. That's the key right there, Learning learning how others are talking about it. So then when you're you know, optimizing your page title, your descriptions, that sort of thing, you're actually using the same words that they're going to use to search for it. And obviously that helps you, you know, rank higher, get found more often, that sort of thing. And that's one of those things people just starting off, you don't realize like how people describe you isn't necessarily how you describe you. Um, and really, like you said, that's a great, just digging into like reviews or anything like that, anywhere you can really get like that data to understand, oh, this, is, this isn't how people see us or describe us. Maybe they do see us, but just describe us differently. Um, and that's one of those things that you really start getting into that language. And that's a, that's a huge step right there. Doing, um, so if you've got those reviews, all right, that's going to tell you how they're, they're talking about their product, but you can achieve the same thing with surveys and they're not mutually exclusive. Um, one of the best survey questions to ask to figure out that positioning of like, who are we helping? Ask people, what kind of person, who would you recommend our product to? Well, since they just bought, they're essentially going to describe how they see themselves or how they see like the ideal version of themselves in the world with your product. So now you know, like if there's a commonality there, okay, this is our core customers, or rather, more importantly, this is how our customers identify themselves, which is going to be different than if you just took your email list, dropped it into Facebook as a custom audience, ran the audience insights tool, all of this free by the way, um, and got figured out demographic data. Like, oh, well, they're 70% women and they're, you know, age 35, Five to forty-four, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you know, it's not that actionable. I really don't know what to do with that beyond you know better targeting. Um, in terms of copy, I want to know how people are perceiving it, how they're talking about it. I need their optics. Yeah, people, you know, it's one of those things you could describe, for example, as a e-commerce retailer, a Shopify seller, a you know, an Amazon seller. Different ways you could actually describe yourself as what you do. Um, and like you said, that's one of those things where everyone kind of sees themselves differently and uses a different kind of language, um, which is obviously super important to know. Uh, and then you, like you said, pull it back into your copy. So that's a, that's a, that's a very good tip actually. And it took me a while to actually figure that out. It definitely, um, I was years before I figured it out. Yeah. It's, it's surprising how, and still it's not like something you commonly do when you first, when people are first starting off, um, people go off, just, you think of the copy as, you know, oh, I have to add a description. You start typing basically. 
and don't realize really that's like that's where the work is and that's where the thought needs to go into yeah and i you you mentioned you know like the product description the in a product description whether it's like on successful amazon listings you could there's definitely a style to them which is very cool um when you read it's like you know initially it's the bullet points and they're focused purely on benefits not features what's the outcome and they always write like concise version in caps three to five words and then the lowercase like full sentence explanation and they'll have like five to ten of those and then when you get down they um to the full description then they talk about oh here like here essentially uh, a sales letter and the sales letter format i'll give it to you right now it's easy pain dream fix right number one what's the pain describe the pain agitate that pain where you're like hey you've got you know, do you hate that you've got shoes and they're uncomfortable and they're giving you blisters? All right, dream. What if you had a shoe you could walk around with at Disney World for an entire day and it, your feet wouldn't get blistered? Now we've described the dream, the fix. Oh, you got to check out our super ultra air-cooled mesh walk sandals for Disney World. Wow, now I've got this laser-focused, amazing shoe, and I've illustrated both like what the pain we're solving. So for the people that that clicks with, and I'm going to Disney World next month. Um, and as part of that, I'm like, man, I need to consider what footwear to buy. We're going to be walking around in 90 degree heat for eight days. That's an important thing to consider. Um, so have like you having that laser focus, if someone said, if I found an Amazon listing that was like that, I would not have looked at other shoes. I would have just bought those. Um, and that format, I really only see people doing those long form, amazing product detail pages in Amazon. So for some of our, our more successful merchants, we'll often start on Amazon and move to Shopify to start building a brand. Oh, is that, so already... is that something you, you would say go from Amazon to Shopify, or is that like a common path? Yeah. Oh, we could get into that that next. Um, <laughs> I love when I see an Amazon seller going to Shopify because I know, hey, they validated their product market fit. I've got that treasure trove of data in there. I know that uh, Amazon has very stringent listing and data policies, so I've got clean stuff to work with. Um, and I probably have a really well thought through and great product description to work with. Um, and then what's really funny is I'll see like Amazon stores, they get the full amazing everything in there. And then you go to their Shopify store and then they stripped it all back. It's just like title, two sentence paragraph description, done. Like what? No, give me that whole thing. <laughs> Put that whole thing in there. I want the long form. Those long form product descriptions work really well because I'm not in a store. I can't see it, touch it, feel it. Do you find that same template works the same for Amazon as it is for Shopify? That same yeah, kind of long well, form? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take that exact same format and we'll use it in Shopify. And we'll even, um, most themes, well, this is getting in the weeds, but most themes support a feature called split, which will give us a layout that's like Amazon, where it's like photos on the left, bullet points on the right, in cart form on the right. And then below that, the big full width description, then reviews, boom, good to go. That's a great layout. And that's a another a wonderful um, conversion rate optimization user experience theory I follow, and I'm sure uh, I, uh, my colleagues do too. But the 43 cents on every e-commerce dollar last year was spent on Amazon. That's insane. That tells us without a doubt Amazon is setting the standard. Whether the standards make sense or not is not up for us to figure out. They're training us, teaching us all how to shop. Yeah. So if you follow those best practices that Amazon has laid out, then when people land on your site, don't reinvent the wheel, man. Stick to the, the standards and the patterns that Amazon uses because people will recognize that. Like Amazon will call one of their next steps, proceed to checkout as opposed to just checkout. That's a much more accurate label. So I will lift that. 
Um, Amazon uses color isolation where their pri- the primary call to action on every page is always the same color throughout the whole site. Easy optimization. I'll borrow that, steal that. Um, as far as like that layout, that product detail page layout, amazing. It works well. We'll lift that and use that in our in our Shopify themes. Um, and they have lots of clever tricks in there, like scarcity stuff. Like, or they'll say uh, order soon, only you know 14 left. And that's of uh, some themes have that built in. I wrote we have a I love that feature so much. We have a simple app that just adds just that. Um, and or Amazon will they'll add urgency. So like those two are great conversion levers, scarcity and urgency. I always find too that even the free shipping, just like how many people don't do that um, on their like, you know, Shopify or whatever. It's, and even, you know, I'm in e-commerce and I kind of know, okay, free shipping was really baked into the price. Like I get it. And literally and right it before- It still works. And it's still, and right before this, I was buying something online just from like a, you know, non-Amazon site and they weren't offering free shipping. And I left it just sitting here in the card and I went and got it. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to pay shipping. I realized this is, this is like ridiculous. Like I, I like understand the shipping, you know, even on Amazon, I'm paying for it, but even as a consumer, I don't want to pay for it anymore. And they've like trained me not to want to pay for it, which is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. We have like, it comes up every so often where a merchant will go, well, should I really offer free shipping? I said, have you ever, when people ask me that, I go, have you ever in your life wanted to pay for shipping? No. Then why do you think your customers would like just, they're like, yeah, but I just have to raise the prices to do it. Yeah. And at least the, then I, I still know I'm getting free shipping. And that's the thing. Even, yeah, even with Amazon, it's more expensive sometimes, but they have the free shipping. And somehow, like, and I and I get it that it's more expensive sometimes, but the free shipping, it, it gets even me. Okay. So what is, people are going to Amazon, they're paying more for products on Amazon in some cases. Why are they doing it? What's the thing they're getting out of it? I think convenience is really the big thing. Convenience. And, it's and convenience. That, and that trust. Because you know, you know, you're not just giving it a credit card, you may get the product in two days, you might get it in three weeks, you you know, you don't know. You know with Amazon, there's a level of quality, there's a level of convenience, you're gonna get your product, the, the product you want at the time you want. Absolutely, and they do a lot to communicate that to you. When they say, hey, order by X time, and we're gonna, and get it, uh, and it ships today. You could, you could add, that's a little bit of JavaScript, a little bit of code, or an app, you can add that to your store, to add that same, uh, both urgency and to communicate, hey, this is when you're going to get your stuff, man. And that's that's what people want. Like they just, the sites are often a black box or there's too many choices. Amazon gives you that convenience. Like you ever go through a store's checkout? It's like, oh, choose your shipping option. And they've got like carrier calculated rates set up dynamically. And it just barfs out like 30 shipping rates. Yeah, and and like, what is this garbage? And they give like, yeah, they literally give 30 of them. And there's ones you're not going to pick like. You know, the shipping, you're going to buy a t-shirt, it's going to be $45 shipping, and you're like, ah, I'm not going to pay $45 to ship my t-shirt. Like, they just give, and they think more is better, but that's really not what you want. You know, you want, <laughs> and with Amazon, like you said, they kind of say, it, as long as you order buy in the next 48 minutes, it will ship today. You go, okay. Ship today, yep. free two-day shipping. Yep. And then if I want to, I could pay, I can upgrade to a faster option. Yep. Amazon only ever gives you two options for shipping, Right. You could do the exact same thing in your store. I tell people, listen, you only offer two options. Say free, you know, free standard shipping or free upgraded shipping, right? That's not hard. And let's say you're using USPS. Okay, everything goes out priority mail or express mail. The first one is free with a threshold, say 25, 50, whatever bucks. Um, and the other is uh, whatever rate, maybe plus 10% to make sure there's no issues. But that, like, there, that is a big friction point that you have reduced. 
And I would encourage people, you could compete with Amazon here too by stating like in the shipping rule names, put the transit time in there. You know how yeah. long it'll probably take, say three to five days. Okay, great. Now they know how long it'll take. It'll help them decide, is it worth it to do the upgraded shipping? And I've discovered people have opinions on carriers. So say if there's one carrier you use, say it. State who that carrier is because they that will – if you just go, oh, free shipping. I don't know how you're shipping it. Like is it is a carrier pigeon? And just tell me. And that's what like you know Amazon has trained us, but they also – you know, for this convenience. But part of that is they over communicate to you and they also reduce a ton of choices. So it's kind of an interesting balance that they strike. Um, and that you should seek to achieve that same balance of, of simplicity and communication in whatever platform or store you're using. Yeah. That, that opinion on carrier is funny. I didn't realize that was a thing. And then people ask about, you know, what carriers are going to go and on my own shipping, I don't really, you know, sometimes a FedEx guy shows up, other times a UPS. I don't really know nor care. But some people really have an opinion on that, I mean, which, uh, which is shocking to me. And then the other question I'm talking to retailers, and I don't know if you see this too. A lot of people, when you say exactly what you said, you should bake in shipping, you know, here's how you do it. A lot of people are very concerned with, like, how do I get an exact number of shipping? So, like, as a retailer, you know how much it will cost you. And I know my answer, but I'm curious, which, what, how do you approach that one? What's the question? Basically, they want to mark up, you know, I want to include free shipping. How do I actually do that, of, like price-wise, from a pricing point of view? Okay, so the two approaches I would take is uh, have a free shipping threshold. Amazon does. You're either going to pay them for a membership or it's got to be minimum 25 bucks. Um, I, I doubt they came up with that number arbitrarily. I, so if that's the first question is, well, what's the threshold for free shipping? I say, go look at your average order value. That should be a, you know, that's a key performance indicator Whatever that average order value is, okay, you could start with that as your free shipping threshold or um, try and bump your free shipping threshold by – or your average order value by just going you know, 10, 15, 20% over your average order value for that free shipping threshold. One of our most successful stores, I think their free shipping threshold is like 125 bucks, and that, sure enough, average order value is up a little over that because of that. Um, so that's number one. Two, I mean you got to – you need to know your cost of goods sold. And there's a, a disturbing number of e-commerce businesses where like they may be losing money on products and have no idea. Um, so you want to know your cost of goods sold. Try and you know work out deals, get the cheapest shipping rates you can, and then build it into the price. Because as we have clearly demonstrated here, I, we all know it's built into the price. We all know we're paying for the shipping in some way, but we don't want to know. Don't tell me what I'm paying for it. Just put it in there, build it into the price. Yeah, I like that. And it's one of those things where people want to get to this exact, like, this margin per order. And you realize, like, this this is kind of a game of horseshoes, not darts, where you're not going to come up with, okay, I'm making X percent per order on every order. I'm going to make, you know, roughly this more in some orders, less than others. I want to make sure I'm not just losing money, you know, like you said. But at the same time, you know, you're not going to have an exact, I make X percent, you know, margin on every order type of thing. So you have to you have to realize it's an estimation. Yeah, that's, def that's definitely, that's one of the things I see people get most um, caught up on when they talk about adding free shipping, that they'll no longer have that exact, you know, number. And they've come and they've yeah. kind of, they added all the unit costs and they added, you know, whatever, 10% on top of that. But now, okay, if I had free shipping, I won't be able to calculate that. So I see people getting the, very hung up on that one. Where people get tripped up, I've seen, um, is in that, like, well, if I build it into the price and we've got, there's like minimum advertised price policy and we've got like now, 
you know, we're not going to pop up as the lowest priced item in Google shipping or like if people just comparison or Google shopping or if they comparison shop. I think the solution there is you uh, you can obscure the price by offering product bundles. And you see that in Amazon all the time for like big consumer goods. It's to obscure the price because no one is going to sit there and add up like the perceived cost of all of those individual items to figure out if it's a great deal or not. They're going to go, man, that's the bundle for me. And that's also where you can optimize for average order value, you know, by having uh, multiple bundles and then having those trigger uh, upsells where you go, hey, you, you know, if they added camera body to cart, oh, did you want to add the photographer bundle? And then it just swaps those items out. And then you, you could, if you've got multiple bundles, keep going with it. Oh, you've got the photographer bundle. Did you want to upgrade to the travel pro photographer bundle? Right. <laughs> and then you let them choose where it is. And the pushback you'll hear from merchants is, well, that will be annoying. Hey, it's not because you're adding value to it. If you believe in the things you sell and you should, then it is your duty to try and sell it to people, right? If you don't, then what are you doing? Get out of this business um, and get into something that you can believe in and get behind. Well, as long as the bundles make sense logically, like you said, the you know camera that comes with the tripod, the memory card, and maybe it's the traveler bundle that comes with the special backpack sort of thing. So as long as they make sense, it's, yeah, you, you don't want to just throw random crap together. Yeah, you don't want to, um, you know, include like a you know plant or like some random thing inside the camera bundle. It doesn't make any sense. But like, yeah, yeah, as long and as you can, what sense. you can do is again use your data. Do um, uh, do a website card analysis where you look at what items people have added together, and then you know, oh, like our customers are already telling us which bundles they want to buy. Yep. Well, anything with the bundles when you go to the Amazon world. Um, I think a lot of people do it just because let's say you list a, you know, a Canon 6D that the, to fight for that listing, there's, if you look at, you know, other folks selling it, it's going to be a long, long, long list and it's going to be a battle to win the buy box. But if you have a bundle, you might list next to the Canon 6D main listing. So you might only be the second or third, uh, product down. You're still selling the same camera, but you're able to actually rank like next to the Canon and not on that main listing. So you're going to get a lot more clicks directly to y'all listing and not on the main level. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the kind of things you see people and I guess even the Shopify in the, you know, in the non Amazon world kind of doing to, to optimize? Uh, so to optimize, um, the, so it to, well, like we covered a lot of the non-traditional stuff that I like in terms of very, like summarizing, figure out your positioning, um, work on on copy, really focus on using like traditional sales letters as your product description, leverage that data, those reviews that you get from Amazon to pull language out, pull survey, run surveys, get the data from that to figure out who it is. Um, yeah, I think uh, optimize and borrow the best practices and the, set, the standards that Amazon has laid out and taught us all to use. So if you've done that, you've uh, done all of that, you are in a phenomenal place. You have, you've got knocked out all of the low hanging fruit okay, now it's time you can move into like traditional conversion rate optimization efforts in terms of website design and those elements. Um, first one, make sure that website is quick, right? If it's, you know, even if you've got like, you can assume affluent customers who've got 100 megabit uh, data uh, in home and their phones are all the newest version in LTE, guess what? Sometimes my internet slows down. Sometimes there's five kids streaming YouTube in my house. And sometimes you're on your phone and you go in the L tracks and it drops to 3G. So no matter who you are, a fast, 
fast website is always going to be beneficial. So there's another easy, like, let's look at that um, as one, like, and we'll see, we'll see merchants, you know, for a lack of, you know, out of a, a lack of understanding, uh, do stuff like, oh, well, we uploaded a 20 meg ping, so, or, and uh, loaded a whole bunch of tracky JavaScript and stuff, so now my homepage is 35 megs. That's a, <laughs> that more than once we have found websites that seem to work decently that had monster site times like that, like 35 megs. So is that, so if you're some, not, is that something in the Shopify, like the Shopify BigCommerce, the hosted world, you still need to worry about? Because I've seen people with, you know, like a Magento or WooCommerce where, uh, you know, some of them run fine, but there's other ones that, like you said, somebody does something bizarre on the server level and it runs, you know, dog slow. But is that something like a Shopify? You could still, can you still, a, can you still do that the hosted side? In a cloud solution like um, Shopify, you wouldn't expect to, you wouldn't, there's no configuration you could do that's going to like wildly jack it up. Um, whereas like, you know, Magento, you could screw up your server config, you know, that like, you're not going to have that issue. So it, it saves you there, but you still are, Ultimately, the merchant is the one who decides the content on the website, apps, and services, and those are the troublemakers. Number one is images, like people just misunderstanding image formats and how that works. Um, so investing a little bit of time to educate yourself there helps dramatically, um, or having you know hiring someone to look at it and take care of it for you. And then two, people going bonkers with apps and services. I think it's the average Shopify store has six apps installed, which would be fine, um, but it is not unusual. A store with 20 apps, I wouldn't even bat an eye app. Um, 30, 40, that's not, I've, I've seen it. It's not that unusual, right? <laughs> and you just kind of think like, man, there's just going to be this one app. If I could just find the right app, I'm going to be an overnight success. So the, the app store kind of turns into a bit of a slot machine for people where they're like, well, I'll just try it. And then they forget about it. Or they're like, well, I, I deleted it, but it leaves a bunch of code behind and still yeah. like loading the JavaScript. So um, much like a, a ship collecting barnacles, these websites collect cruft in the forms of JavaScript snippets. Um, yeah, I looked at a site yesterday. Had uh, it was like I believe it was Sumo was loading 500k of JavaScript. Now I don't know if that it what Sumo does. You know, I'm not saying that we didn't really look into. We just knew that's what was going on here. Um, you know, if maybe they like implemented it wrong but they weren't even using the service that's said, you, see all the time. you see people not using the service or you don't know how some of these interact together that's another thing where you know maybe that's always a fun game yeah or maybe sumo is the thing that's fine but there's something else that they have this other service that's you know bumping into that and that's causing and you know there's different you know javascript libraries and they're content they're fighting each and each other um there's a lot of oh yeah that on. one yeah yeah, it's like, oh, they loaded four versions of jQuery yeah. because each app <laughs> needs a different one. Exactly. Oh, man. Yep. And that's where, like, as a merchant, you re I, I flat out don't expect you to know what we're even talking about. The action step there is to really have an approach, like make backups of your site, first of all, as part of your crisis plan so that you could roll backwards. Like, no matter what platform you're on, even if it's Shopify, figure out a way to make backups. And Shopify, I'll plug my friend's app, Rewind. It'll do it. Um Every platform is going to have an option for this. And within that, now, like, have an actual, have some, a standard operating procedure for installing apps. And it's when you look at that app, go, all right, what's the key performance indicator? What's the metric I'm going to use to measure if this app has any kind of ROI? And I'm going to give it, a, you know, a week or 30 days. And then set a reminder, write it in your calendar, schedule as an email, whatever it takes, to go back and check it. And if it isn't doing, if it's not meeting the need, roll it back. Get rid of the app and then make sure that, you know, all the code is that went along with it is gone 
Um, and so like for Shopify, what we do is we would duplicate the theme as a backup and say like, you know, theme before, you know, Johnny's goofball SEO app install and then install Johnny's goofball SEO app in a month, discover it's done nothing. We'd say, all right, we'll, it's going to, we're going to track traffic as our metric traffic's unchanged. All right, this app wasn't worth it. I'm not going to pay for it. And there's technical debt to it, even if it's free. So delete it, roll back to the old theme. So that would be my, that's like a really safe approach. The technical debt's definitely the thing, right? Because even if it's yes. a free app, it's not really free. It's going to cost something. Like you said, page load speed. Uh, there's some, it's going to, there's going to be some issue that, or something that there's a cost to it of just, like you said, loading, that sort of thing. So, and I like the idea of rolling back. Do you have a, do you have a easy way of testing the page speed or a recommendation on like how fa like, you know, your main homepage when people hit that, uh, what should we be looking at? Is there a sort of rule of thumb where you want to be? And if you're above X, it's a disaster. Or what do you think though? Well, so lower is always lower is better. The smaller you can get it. Great. You'll see, um, you know, as, as, uh, visitors grow, you're going to see gains from that. But, you know, for me at this point, if you could get just, as a rule of thumb, if you've got a homepage that's less than five megs, fine, that'll work fine. Uh, but ideally, I want to see it under two and a half or two megs, and that's going to translate to on good devices, um, the site will will load in about two seconds. Um, but then also because like there's page size and load time and render time, it gets confusing. You got to pick one. Now the one thing I will warn you: most merchants become aware of performance because they run that insidious Google page speeds insights tool. Yes. This thing does I, not. I was going to mention that. I hate it. <laughs> it impl the implication is that it measures speed. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. It actually tests the site against a series of really rather arbitrary best practices and then it gives you a score based on that and a grade. And then that people have a, there's a number and they, I want to make the number better. I got to make the number go up and then Google will bless me and my rankings will shoot up. And no, it's not the case at all. Um, the thing is, um, you know, sometimes the recommendations are not possible on a platform. Sometimes they don't even make sense. You know, like if you test a Shopify site, it will punish you for using a CDN. Yep. What? A CDN <laughs> causes, makes the site load fa faster, especially for international. And because we're li like, they're ignoring the fact that there are shared assets. They're going to get cached. Someone visits one Shopify store. There are assets that are cached that will then when they visit your store, won't have to be loaded. And that's part of the advantage of running that CDN. But Google's like, no, that's a bad thing. Get rid of that. Uh, ridiculous. It would be a poor experience if you got a hundred or so. Um, the one I like uh, to use is, is Pingdom Tools, page speed test, yep. uh, tools.pingdom.com. And it's it's free. It will give you um, it's a, a nice technical view where it'll show you like, okay, here's the person, like here's the largest thing on the side, it'll be like, all right, scripts, is it scripts or is it images? Here's the largest image, here's the largest script. So much more um, uh, reasonable in its suggestions. So you can readily see like, oh man, this app, this one, and you know, you, hopefully you could figure it out from the file names. Like, man, this one app is 20% of my, my homepage. Do I really need that app? If I get rid of it, that's 20% gained. That's the thing right there. You're not, you know, this isn't like you're running like Google.com or Facebook where you're trying to shave off like a 100th of a second and or like, you know, an extra kilobit sort of thing. And for them, that's a that's huge savings. They're transferring so much. Exactly. But you could have that time where you, like you said, you come there and there's one photo that is actually causing a 25% boost and realize like, yes. oh, I don't, I don't need an eight meg photo on my homepage. Like that's just not, you know, we, we could scale that down a bit. And just seeing that like low hanging fruit where you could do that one thing 
and that will speed up the site drastically is kind of what you're looking for not you know if you come on there and it's pretty good okay but if you come on there and there's that one thing and you're saying wow that shouldn't that shouldn't account for this much weight in the entire uh in the entire load that's that's what we're talking about here all right if you want your that'll cover if we've got all that done at this point now this site is lean mean and easy to use and makes a compelling proposition all right your next test we have not still have not gotten into any traditional conversion rate stuff get a get someone you don't know you barely know who's not familiar with your brand has never used your site and ask them to complete a task set them on your homepage and say hey can you just go find x product and buy it yep. and then like shoulder surf if you have to this doesn't have to be some big technical user test thing get an ipad hand it to a stranger at starbucks and ask them to do a thing and then watch them do it and keep your mouth shut you can't say anything you can't do anything and it will be the most frustrating goddamn thing you have ever seen right because you have spent more time on your website than anyone else as the owner and so you're like you can't see the forest through the trees by the time you've gotten here um, watching someone else use it will be enlightening. So that you take, you know, uh, like an iOS uh, built into it. You could do screen recordings now. So you get a recording of this action or there's tools that'll do this. But why complicate it with that? Do it in person a couple times. It'll blow your mind. Um, and then take note of every single friction point, slow down, cause for confusion, write all that stuff down and then figure out how to fix it. And that's like that shipping rate example. When they hit the 20 shipping rates that you thought you were being helpful with because it was cool, and you discover, oh, this like kind of makes them barf on making a decision. Um, you go, oh, I didn't realize that. So there's other stuff like that on your site. You just don't know it because you're too close to it. Um, so like when I audit a site, that's how what I start with. I write down every weird friction point, and we just fix that. Um, and that could be enough to double conversions on a site. So that, then, all right, if we've got that done, okay, fine. Now you could play. Now I would say start heat mapping. I like Hotjar. Use whatever tool you're comfortable with, but I, my favorite is Hotjar. Um, and use that not to figure out what to add to the site. Use it to figure out to what to strip out, right? Heat map, you, you, could, you, know, you could guess what are the important pages in your site, whether like homepage, category page, product detail page, cart, checkout. Heat map that flow, um, or if you want a more data-driven ap approach or, uh, or you want to check some other pages, right? You can run as many heat maps as you want. Load up Google Analytics, figure out what your top landing pages are, figure out what pages have the highest bounce rates, heat map those as well. Um, and then looking at those pages, you could figure out pretty well, what are the elements nobody ever clicks on? Get rid of that stuff. If you get rid of the junk, the cruft the site has accumulated, like secondary calls to action and wish list buttons and social share buttons that, you know, you have 2,000 views, it gets one click. Why is that garbage there then? Because you thought you were like, yeah, social, it's going to be free traffic and people are going to share this and nobody does. And if they wanted to share it, they wouldn't need your stupid share widget, would they? <laughs> you know how to share on Facebook, right? Um, so like, see, but seeing is believing they need to see, oftentimes people need to see that heat map. So that really is phase one is you just start stripping stuff out that doesn't get used. What I discovered one time with, with a heat map is there was a, it was a photo and somehow it must've looked like a button and I didn't realize, and you know, to me as a site owner, I thought it was, you know, looked like a photo, but it turned out people kept clicking on this photo, thinking something, you know, expecting something to happen and it never did. And then I kind of just realizing, oh, you just want that to link, you know, wherever it was and just, but I didn't know that and until I actually did that. I was like, oh, okay. So you're clicking on a photo, expecting something. Expecting something. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, does that photo link to somewhere or should it open in a light box? Yep. And that's where you, you need to make, make some decisions, um, on, on what it should do next. But ideally like landing pages traditionally, which we think of these high conversion things, it's just a page that has all the secondary calls to action stripped out of it. You go to a landing page, it's got no navigation. It's the footer's just like copyright and there's just a primary call to action. Well, that's, this is the first step in achieving that with that, that heat mapping. Then once you strip all that stuff out, okay, now secondarily to your point is look for the stuff people are clicking on that doesn't do anything and figure that out. Like should that thing, number one, should that thing be there? Is it confusing for them? And two, if it, need, if it should be there, okay, do we need to change the design so they quit clicking on it or does it need to do something? Yeah, and like I like how you said, it doesn't need to be this big, like elaborate thing. I've also, I've done the thing where, you know, you got an email, someone's hand, hey, I'm trying to check out and run this issue of, you know, whatever, that sort of thing. If you just reply back really quick and say, hey, want to jump on a quick screen show? And so, and send them something and just, you know, you can see the screen, they kind of allow you, you know, do a go to meeting, whatever it is. And then you can just kind of watch them check out and then realize, oh, okay, like th there wasn't a problem with the checkout. It was just kind of like a issue, but we could, you know, as you as the site owner, it's basically, even if there's a user issue, it's your fault because you need to, you know, you need to move that stuff out of the way. So the users can kind of flow through, like you said, and just kind of get where they need to go to the checkout and being even just a quick screen share. It doesn't need to be, you know, set up user testing and this big elaborate thing. Just when somebody emails you with the support issue, it's easy. Just hop on a quick call, watch their screen and watch them use your site. Absolutely. Yeah, you've that's actually that's an important mindset shift as a business owner is is that taking that extreme ownership where you know if I lose a sale, it's probably it, I said you know, I ask someone why and they say well you're too expensive. It's not that they're too cheap. It's that I didn't communicate the value proposition well enough. And when you start thinking in those terms, oh now you can really make some serious um, growth decisions for your business because you realize, man, you're in control of everything around you. Um, so reframing it like that is, is a, a great way to approach things. Yeah. That's definitely one, that's one of those things where I think people, um, you know, the first time you get support issues or I can't do this, or someone's complaining about that. People kind of take it personally, but it's, it's not that your, you know, your job is to help them. Um, so if there, there's an issue, it's not, you know, a reflection on you. It's, you know, this is your, this is the job and you're there to help and assist and make that easier for users. And just what's the first that. thing you get that, like those annoying support requests, the ones that are like, what the hell? When you get those, the first thing you think is, man, this person's an idiot. <laughs> okay. Maybe they are, but it's your fault for not building your site for idiots. Yeah. Like it's, the they one great they approach. Those questions. Exactly. Yeah. They like preempt all that stuff um, or do better support so they can help themselves. Um, you know, both are, are adequate approaches. Um, but yeah, one way to look at it is, uh, build your site in which you assume the user is a crazy, lazy drunk, make it <laughs> like they're crazy and that they're a narcissist. So we'll go to sites and they suffer from iorrhea where it's like, well, I, I like, welcome to blah, blah, blah. I, at, <laughs> you know, you're, if you're in the right place because we do excellent and like, you just, you want to hang yourself because it's this unnatural stilted voice and it's just them droning on about them. I don't care about you. I'm on a website from my couch at 10:30 at night in my pajamas. I care about me right now. That's how your website, you know, what's in it for me. That's what your website should always be answering. So that's where we want we've got the crazy part in. Not to be pejorative, just you know, think of them as a narcissist. And then lazy, uh, if there's any friction point like even those shipping issues, 
we talked about uh, were a common one or being able to just find the right product. They're not going to spend, you know, you know, the website, you're like, oh, I can figure this out. They're not going to spend the time. They're just going to go back to Facebook and stalking their ex, right? That's <laughs> those platforms are all meant to be addictive. They're all one tap away. And that is a much bigger lure than your website. Your biggest competitor is the back button. Um, so kill those things and don't expect people to work around stupid issues that you can't figure out. You need to figure it out for them. Um, and then third, the drunk, the, the site just usability wise needs to be fast and easy to use. Um, Richard Littower from drunkusertesting.com is a user uh, experience specialist who literally gets drunk and then screencasts himself trying to use your website performing basic tasks. I've seen that one, yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. He's de- I interviewed him. He's dead serious about it. He really like he gets drunk on whiskey and then records these screencasts, and it's like he can't control it. He just lets fly. Um, so you get a very honest, brutal review of your site out of those, though we all we all are concerned for Richard's health. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's like I think those are two important mindset mindset shifts there that extreme ownership and build the site for crazy, lazy drunk. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I think those are definitely some uh, some solid tips where, you know, people just on extreme ownership. That's really one of the big things of it's it's really up to you to make it easy for users. So I think that's um a big thing to remember and probably a good place actually. I think we're running over, so I wanna be respectful yeah, of your time. It feels as well, good. So. <laughs> yeah. Lots of lots of good stuff there. Good stuff. I feel like I talked to you all day. So I definitely wanted the um all the you know links you mentioned, we'll add those in the show notes. And if people want to follow up with you, kind of find out more, find out what you want what you do, where can they reach you? Google me. Check out uh Kurtelster.com, search Kurt Elster. Um and sign up. There's one big call to action there. My newsletter, sign up for my newsletter. As I produce more more content, wonderful content like yours, I will send it out. Uh, you won't get a deluge of of automated awful emails. You'll get a few, and if you reply to any of those, if you send, it will go to my real email address. And if you send me a thoughtful question, I will send you a thoughtful answer. Awesome, I like that a lot actually. So definitely, we'll link to that. And I really appreciate you coming out today. It was great talking with you. It, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs>